The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to continue in our study of the church. And specifically tonight, we're going to look at your responsibility to the rest of the body. We're going to begin in a place that might not seem obvious in looking at the ministry of the local body, the local church. But what I want to do is isolate a question that's asked in this familiar narrative and not so much the answer that we often accent. Genesis chapter 4, you know it well. Just after the fall of man, after Adam and Eve had fallen, we find out that the man had relations with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told his brother, told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, Do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Familiar words that you are all very well acquainted with. And one of the questions that arises from this text is, well, why did God have regard for one offering and not the other? Lots of postulations about that. Is it because there was a blood offering in one and not the other, firstlings of one, not the other? That's really not the main point. The main point here is that God asked a question that he had expectations of Cain that there would be a legitimate answer. Where's your brother? Cain's answer is very interesting. He doesn't answer specifically with just an I don't know. He goes on to say, a pronouncement to the Lord, do you think, God, that I am responsible for where my brother is? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, the text doesn't tell us what happens next exactly in the dialogue, except for we find out that God judges Cain and the curse continues on through the line of Adam and Eve through this, this man. God gives another named Seth. But the point is this. God expected an answer from Cain. 
And when Cain asked God a question, there was an answer. When he asked God, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that, unbeknownst to Cain, was actually yes. Yes, you are. Why would God ask a question that didn't have an answer that was implied in his question? He has absolute integrity and he would not lie. He had full expectations that in the course of their relationship as physical brothers that they would have a working knowledge and understanding of the other's well-being and whereabouts. You say, what does that have to do with the church? I think everything. I really think that the pressing question of the New Testament, when all is evaluated, when all the one another's are compared, when all the analogies of bodies and building uh, are, are put together, God expects us to answer him in any given moment with the people with whom we fellowship and worship. Where's your brother? Maybe not physically, but definitely spiritually. Where are the whereabouts? What's the well-being of your brother or your sister? In America, and certainly in Western society, we have grown weary of communalism, as the old school calls it, where you, you have the idea that uh, a village takes care of one another or a neighborhood takes uh, care of one another. I, I, would, I would suggest that very few of us know more than two or three names of the neighbors on our street. We have this idea that we, we stand in isolation. We, we stand in isolation in school. We change grades every year. We, we uh, change colleges. We change schools. We change jobs. So that there's not so much of an ongoing relationship that lasts the one place where relationships are supposed to last and grow is inside the church. As we'll see in a few weeks, Christ calls our relationship with him members of the head, members of the body, hands and feet and eyes and ears and noses and mouths. But he also uses that analogy to say that the body is to take care of itself. You are your brother and your sister's keeper. A few weeks ago, I went in for a physical uh, to my doctor, and um, that is certainly always encouraging. You answer a lot of questions. He tells you a lot of things. I mean, a physical is basically an opportunity for the doctor to tell you everything you're doing wrong and everything you need to do right. Um, And I always want to ask the doctor, are you doing everything you're telling me? You know, eat this, don't eat that. You know, he tells me the classic, eat, like, eat breakfast like a king, eat lunch like a queen, and eat supper like a pauper. And I've inverted that pyramid my whole life. But during that physical, it's remarkable to me by his examination, both written in terms of what the questionnaire I fill out, and the physical examination, how much data comes at you so quickly. And walking away from that physical, there were really, honestly, only two or three things that I could grab to work on at one time. If I tried to do everything he said in one, uh, one day, I would have a massive radical lifestyle change. Now, the discouraging thing is he told me to do the same things last year, but that's for another time. I want to take us through a physical tonight, personally and corporately as a body. The, what I'm about to do breaks all the homiletical rules, okay? So if the, the seminary guys don't do what I'm about to do often, okay? I have a sermon with 56 points. I'm not kidding. 
56 checkpoints. It's like coming into the physical and the doctor asks you all of these things. These are intended to be an overwhelming checklist. What we're going to do is fly as fast as we can through the one another's. And what I want you to do as we're doing this is you're not going to be able to process all these. To do, you can't do all of these one another's tonight. It's just impossible. It'll be a very late night if you try. You're willing, you're welcome to try. What I want you to do though is we're going to go through these verses and you can write them down. You can sit back and listen. You can oil up the spine of your Bible and turn as fast as you can. What I want you to do is listen to the overwhelming Niagara Falls of this volume of instruction about the body and ask yourself this, as I ask myself, how am I doing in exploring and applying what the Bible says I am to do with my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? What are my responsibilities to Mission Road Bible Church? Now, turn over for just a moment. We'll cover this verse in two different times, but to Romans chapter 12. Telling Kim a little earlier, I can't wait to get to Romans chapter 12. And she said, yeah, in about 10 years. Hopefully it won't take that long. At the core of all these one another's we're going to look at is the idea of love. You'll see that especially as Jesus explains it in, in, in the Gospel of John in a moment. But there's a critical admonition that I think gets, puts its arms around everything in the one another's. It's very simply stated in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted, literally, yourself, devote yourself, devote yourself to one another and then the qualification in brotherly love. Here's the question to begin with. Are we in a position of devoting ourselves, imploring ourselves, engaging ourselves with one another? What what this list we're about to go through attacks is, is what we could call in, in church circles eventology, meaning you come to an event that has a, a, a Christian tag or, or comes to the church campus, you come to an event, you interact with each other, and then you leave. The Bible knows nothing of church organized around events or meetings. The Bible says the events and meetings happen out of as an overflow of our relationships with one another. So with that, let's start back in the biblical concept in Leviticus 19. You can write these down or you can try to turn to them, but it's going to be fast, okay? Leviticus 19 verse 11 says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. The first one another in the Bible. Don't lie to each other, which means that with each other in the corporate Uh, um, redeemed community as it were in Israel and I think that applies over in the church we are to have honest relationships with each other and not be in in the position of acting like something we're not presenting ourselves as something we're not uh, deceiving somebody with something that's not true overstating, understating, outright lying the foundation of every relationship is in the first one another in the Bible and it's trust trust is built on honesty. Don't deceive one another. Now we have to jump to John chapter 13 and we pick up Jesus who begins to launch us in the idea of the one another's. And these are all going to sound very familiar in the beginning. John 13 verse 14. Jesus says, now that I, uh, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He was telling the disciples this. 
My example is to exercise my humility by making your disposition and your well-being the main focus of our relationship and not my own. If you go back to John 13, you remember what was happening. All the disciples were coming in. They were arguing over who's the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit where when Jesus comes to the throne. And Jesus quietly gets up, takes off his outer garment, girds himself with a towel. It was a long towel that would have wrapped around him with a lot to spare. And he takes that, that, that extra and he gets down with a basin and begins silently washing the disciples' feet. And he says, do likewise. Now, does that mean that we need to literally, physically wash one another's feet? Be careful. I would say maybe. The point is the most low, demeaning, unappreciated, servant-relegated way to serve someone else. Jesus did and said, do likewise. Meaning, with the people in our body, There is nothing too menial and too low for you and I to do for the other. He goes on in John chapter 13, verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. That would be enough, but then listen to what he says. As I have loved you. Uh Oh, really? That's quite a qualification. So you must love one another. So here's where we get our clue. Most of these one another's are going to be rooted and based in love. And Jesus says, as you're expressing your love one to the other in the body of Christ, in the church, do so with me as the reference point. You know those bracelets that we all said, maybe you rolled your eyes at it, what would Jesus do, WWJD? It's actually a great, great reminder. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus love this person? He puts himself as the focal reference point and says, do to others as you've seen me do to you. Specifically in this reference, it was he washed their feet. He did the most menial task. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. The foundation for Kansas City knowing that we belong to Christ is in this next phrase. All men will know that you're my disciples if you, what? Love them, right? Now it says, if you love one another. The most powerful evangelistic tool the church possesses is internal love for one another. We've studied this before in 1 Corinthians where Paul gives an illustration. He says, let's just say that you go over to an unbeliever's house. You're also invited with a brand new believer. You're sitting there and with this unbeliever who's prepared to do this meal. This fresh, brand new baby Christian is beside you. The person brings out meat that's been offered to idols. You, doesn't bother you. You know that there's no such thing as an idol. It's just meat. And usually it was really good meat because the best meat was offered from the best animals on the, uh, on the altar. So they served you a prime uh, steak. This is, this is perfect meat. Your friend, the new baby Christian, is troubled in his conscience about that. Now, conventional wisdom would tell us what should you do there? Well, you don't want to offend the Christian, the non-Christian, because you'll you'll ruin the evangelistic bridge. So you just say shh to the non-Christian. We'll talk about this later, and you just eat the meal. You know what Paul says to do? Offend the unbeliever, always at the expense of taking care of your believing friend. They will know you love me not when you love them so much as when you love one another. 
the unbelievers should come into our body and say, I feel loved, welcomed, appreciated, glad that I'm here, but I feel like I'm missing something. They have something with each other that, that I don't possess. That's attractive. I want that relationship they have with one another, and I can't have it without having their Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We just read it. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another, next phrase, above yourself. The way you devote yourself to people at Mission Road Bible Church is to love them above yourself. Listen, folks, ministry is incredibly inconvenient, isn't it? People move and you don't feel like helping them. People have needs and you don't feel like serving them. People have financial strains and you feel like spending money on yourself rather than that. This, this is basically looking at us and saying, honor each other above yourself. That's how you devote yourself to one another in brotherly love. How? I mean, this is the physical. We're checking off. And if, if we get to this, Romans 12, 10, and, and the great physician says, devoted to one another. How, what's our grade? How, how do we do with that? He goes on, Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We've said this over and over. What makes the church precious and special is that people come in and they look at who we are and they say, what in the world would make these people associate with these people? Multiple socioeconomic levels. Multiple races, multiple heights, multiple interests, multiple whatever. And the world should say, that's, that is an odd grouping of people. Live in harmony with one another. Especially when you are different, even higher or lower in socioeconomic position. Romans 13.8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. That's an interesting way to phrase that. We owe a debt to each other to love each other. We don't owe a debt to one another because they've done something to us and we owe them. We owe a debt to one another because Christ has done something for us and we have an obligation not to fulfill a debt we owe to him, but to continually empty ourselves because of that great debt. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Is that not simple enough? Stop passing judgment on one another. How many admonitions in the Bible are there about gossip and slander within the church? Again, that evangelistic leverage we have with the church, if they come in and they hear us talking like and acting like what they heard at the office, have we really demonstrated that this is a group of people who belong as members, as body parts to the great head, Lord Jesus Christ? Romans 15, 17. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. There's the foundation again. Our Relationship with one another is because Christ has looked with gracious, merciful kindness and pity toward us. Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, 
that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. That means we teach one another. We'll find out in a minute that we actually do that in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing to one another. We teach each other. We come expecting to learn. For someone to adequately teach, someone else has to be willing to learn. So we should come with one another ready to instruct because we're full of what we've studied and learned all week and also ready to receive. And the ready to receive doesn't necessarily have to come from your teacher. The junior high girl a couple of weeks ago standing right out here, I won't embarrass her, it was all positive. She came up and she, she told me something that, this is embarrassing, but she said, you know, when you were talking, Pastor Rick, about this in the sermon, I was so convicted and I just want to tell you what I've learned and to be honest, I don't remember ever saying anything about that. Not even sure I did. I think God just kind of was working in her heart. And she was telling me things, and I was blown away and instructed by what she was telling me. Don't think that there is anyone in the body of Christ who cannot be, in the moment, a teacher and instructor for your soul. You know this was coming, didn't you? Romans sixteen sixteen. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The church's dating service right there, right? No, that's not what it's talking about. Uh, in the ancient Near East, actually in the, in, the, in, the, in the East and in the Near East today, um, greeting one another with a holy kiss is, is, was and is common. Um, I have to tell you a, a story that, that, um, that was a missions moment in my life. I was in Russia uh, up in, uh, in uh, Siberia teaching a class. I remember it was, it was 35 below outside and about 112 degrees inside and they wouldn't let any transfer happen and I don't think anybody had showered in about six years in that. It was, it was a gamey place. I remember that. Well, I'm teaching and by the end of the week this one older gentleman, he was just so precious. He sat to my right and he took notes feverishly and at the end of the week, he came up, and he just, is the last day of class, and he says, oh, uh, the translator, uh, uh, Rick, Richard, is because there's not really a Rick in Russian, Richard, and uh, he begins telling me these things, the translator is saying he appreciated the teaching, and then it all happened in slow motion. <laughs> he grabbed both of my cheeks, there was no escape, and I saw it coming, and there was no <laughs> way to avoid I don't think this brother, this brother will see a toothbrush in the millennium. I don't think he's seen one in this life. And it just came, and he put a smacker on my lips, and then kept talking to me, and so I couldn't, I couldn't do anything, and I was just talking, and it was, he, but that was, he was literally greeting me with a holy kiss. At least he thought it was holy. So I don't think that we have to apply that in this situation. What he's saying is greet one another with affection. Genuinely care about others. Don't be so distant that they don't feel and know and sense that you have a genuine affection for them. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord, that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought that you agree with one another. Does that mean that everyone has to agree on every jot and tittle? No. What it means is you don't argue with the Bible across the table. You sit on the same side of the table, use the scriptures, 
and work toward agreement. The church should never say, let's agree to, that's not biblical. What it says is, no, open your Bible and work toward agreement. And if you don't, get some sleep and come back the next day and keep working toward agreement. Don't give up on agreeing. Have love as that that glue that pulls you together. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Use your Christian liberties to serve one another, not to enjoy yourself. Just a footnote, and I think we're going to talk about this in a few weeks with regard to Christian liberties. Every single time a liberty is brought up in the Bible, it's always in reference to the limitation of that freedom, not the exploration of that freedom. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know what that means? There are people. Rumor has it, books I've read have said, there are people in the church who will irritate you, bother you. Here's what I've learned as, uh, as a pastor, as a Christian being in the church for, for four plus decades. Usually the people that bother me most are the people the Lord's using to change me most. Not about them. It's about us. What's our reference point? Christ. Do you know how incurably irritating and wicked and sinful we were to Christ and he died for us? Remarkable. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I remember I was uh, having an issue with a friend uh, back during my uh, first year of seminary. Had a gentleman that I uh, discipled me, who is one of my, my pillars of my faith, named Fred Barshaw. And I was talking to him, and I was expecting Fred to be sympathetic to the way this guy was was handling a situation with me. And I was, I, I was, you know, Doctor Barshaw, boom, 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 boom. And I and I was ex- expecting Fred, Doctor Barshaw, to say, "Yeah, you're right," and I'm going to talk to him. You know, what he said, "Rick, just forgive him." And I remember physically and emotionally having no comeback to that. Just forgive him. Okay, what do you say to that? Just forgive him. That's what God in Christ did for us. Ephesians 5.19, I said it a minute ago. Aaron said it over and over. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So get this, when you sing, you are preaching. That's the same word. You're proclaiming those lyrics to one another. Making a joyful noise. I don't care if you can't sing a, a, a note. You let it bellow for the glory of God. There's a, there's a gentleman, Kim knows who I'm talking about, who used to sit with us in church sometime. He was an elder at Grace Church. The guy, being monotonic would be a, a compliment to this guy. All right? You know how Chinese have half tones? He found like third tones in there. They, they, were real, they weren't even on the scale. They were animal noises. And he sang as loud and as hard and as hearty as he could. And I remember going, ah, and then thinking, oh, 
He didn't care because he had an audience of God. And in having an audience of God, then he began speaking to me in that psalm and hymn and spiritual song. Christians who are filled with the Spirit, listen, Aaron, I want I'm, get, get your amen ready, okay? Christians who are filled with the Spirit sing heartily with one another. Thank you. And you're doing it for the benefit not only of the worship for God, but the edification of others. You walk into a church and the singing is bad, and you have some people who are not very spiritual. How do you know that? Be filled with the Spirit. The first consequence, you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This comes after Ephesians 5.18. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, just as Ephesians said. Be a forgiver. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Teach one another, admonish one another with psalms, with, excuse me, all wisdom, singing them uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude gratefulness to the Lord. In other words, a little different spin on what Paul said to the Ephesians. You are actually singing correction by your attitude and your lyrics to the people around you. You are becoming a pedagogue. You are becoming a teacher. You're becoming an instructor by singing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Do you come looking for ways to build each other up and and encourage one another, not, not flattering, but to build one another up, to find something that you can major on to encourage one another. I, I, I got to tell you, I was in the, um, uh, the 10th grade, and God gave me a, uh, a relationship with my wrestling coach. He was a believer. His name was Lynn Goss. I, I don't think I had ever received true encouragement like he gave me ever before that. I remember he stopped me one day and he said, Rick, I want to I tell you some things I've seen in you and, and I want to encourage you to, to be this way with the other guys. And, and, and it, was, it was like a shock to me. I, I, was, I was a little taken back, like, really? Are you fake? What are you, do- what are you talking about? It changed the way I lived. Encouragement is a powerful, powerful tool in the hand of God. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Same issue, Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Are you, in the context, which we'll talk about in a moment, trying to encourage one another to do better and try harder to please Christ? Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another which is the, in the context of coming to church. Is it, is it in your encouraging set to miss somebody at church and to call them and say, man, I miss you. I want to encourage you to be at church. Not just to click off the attendance roll, but because being with one another is so mutually beneficial to our walk that you miss it when you don't receive from them and that they miss it when they don't receive from us. James 4.11, brothers, do not slander one another. One of the ugliest things to see is when a brother, a physical brother or sibling or sister or a child or a parent speaks poorly of someone in their family. 
was tell our boys, watch how, when you, when you start getting interested in a girl, watch how she treats her father. And you remember the way you treat your mother is a good sign of the kind of husband you're going to be like, the kind of wife you're going to find. Are you in the position of saying non-slanderous, building up, encouraging words, or is it your habit to be dragging people down? Hey, listen, the longer we get to know each other, the more we will find to slander each other about. Fair? I mean, the closer you get to someone, the more you'll find out to be critical of them. There's only one person who you get closer to and they get better, and that's Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. Paul's not even on the planet, so... The closer we move with each other, the less we're gonna, the more we're gonna struggle with the, the possibility we could slander one another. First Peter 3 8. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic with one another. First Peter 4 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I just want to tell you, if we excel in any one dimension as Mission Road Bible Church, your hospitality is, is still a blessing to, to me and my family. I, Someone comes to town, someone, uh, a seminary student comes up. The, the offers we have to give up home and, and house, I'll sleep on the floor, let you sleep in our bed, is remarkable. Sell still more. First Peter 5, 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Be humble toward one another. Humility is not just an attitude that says, you're better than me. Humility is when you say, I'm going to use my life to make yours better. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us. Fellowship is not just getting together in a hall called Fellowship Hall and having bad punch and stale cookies. That's my memory of Fellowship Hall growing up. It's getting with one another's lives. 1 John 3, 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 1 John 3, 23. And this is the command to believe in the name of, uh, of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 11. Dear friends, since God loved, we, loved us, we should love one another. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and the love is made, his love is made complete in us. People see, people feel, people experience the love of God when Christians love each other. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It's one of my favorite concepts in the Bible. Love covers a multitude of sins. I just always think of Noah's sons. Remember that? horrific incident after the flood where he became inebriated and exposed himself to shame and his son backed up and covered his shame. He covered his father's sin. I just, I want to do everything I can to minimize what people know of your sin and maximize what people know of your righteousness. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. The great Christian fraud is this. I'll pray for you. Now, I, I think our people pray. I think that you pray for one another. But how often do we say, I'll pray for you, which is really code for, I'm really done talking about this? Do we really pray? Let me encourage you. Stop in the moment and pray for that brother or that sister when they ask you to pray. 
And then pray later, but pray right then. Also, confessing your sins to each other. Where, do you have a place, a person beyond your spouse or in, in your family who you can confess sins to? When we don't regularly confess sins to one another, you know what we're telling one another? Got it wired. James 5, 9, don't grumble against each other. We talked about that. Hebrews 13, 1, keep on loving each other as brothers. That's 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, we ought to thank God for you. Uh, we, we always thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more and the love uh, every one of you have for one another is increasing. You love each other. That was their testimony and their reputation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, make sure that nobody pays back a wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other. And to everyone else, paying back a wrong for wrong. How many times I've heard people who say they love Christ say, I will not do that for them. You know what they did to me. You know what they said about me. Well, do you know what we did to Christ? First Thessalonians 5, 13, hold them in the highest esteem, regard and love uh, the people who teach you, live in peace with one another. Same concept. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage each other with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, uh, love one another again. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, are you getting, getting the idea? Uh, make your love increase and overflow to each other. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other, forgive each other. Colossians 3.9, do not lie against each other. Going back to that exodus, the Leviticus um, admonition. Wow, Philippians 4, 2, I, I plead with Yodia and Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord, that they should get along. There should be no feuds and no, can I say the word, enemies in the church. And if so, please don't take the Lord's table until that's cleared up. You're inviting God's judgment. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate and compassionate, forgiving each other. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. These each others are one another also. Carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, carry one another's burdens. One of the most important uh, scriptures for interrelationships of the church to bear one another's burdens. You cannot bear one another's burdens unless you know what those burdens are. If we do church the right way, if we apply these one another's, you will oftentimes find yourself in an I don't know and in an awkward situation. That's okay because that puts us in a dependent position before God. Be concerned for each other, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Watch out for each other in Galatians 5, 15. Wait on each other, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three, Romans 1, 12. Be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, Ephesians 4, 16. Be joined to one another. Support one another as the ligaments work together in a body. Support one another. And, and then lastly, Philippians 2, verses 3 to 5. Listen to this freshly in this context. Do nothing. How much is nothing? Nothing's a lot in this context. Do nothing 
from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility of mind, consider one another as more important than yourself. There's the grand summary of all the one another's, where we consider other people more important than ourselves. So you look at that physical, that's 56, a lot grouped together. You look at that checklist. How are you doing is the easy question. Because we say, some, I'm doing okay in some areas and I'm not doing okay in other areas. I, I get that. All of us would say that. Here's the better question. Where is the context that you are engaging in so that these one another's can happen beyond Sunday morning and Sunday night? Now, if you're smart, you see what's coming, right? Rick, is this all an admonition to get in a care group? You have caught me red-handed. Yes. Is this an admonition to be, in a, be a member so that I can be a part of a care group? I am caught again. You're right. Let me say it as sweetly and as gently as I can, okay? A refusal to engage the body at a small group, local level. It doesn't have to be an official small group, but beyond the corporate meeting, a refusal to engage one another in these one another's is clearly missing the mark. There's a word for that. What is it? It's sin. So are you the Lone Ranger? Do you think that you're in an old western and you're going to go out and spiritually just be by yourself and just you and your horse and that's it? You are responsible. I am responsible one to the other. I was talking to a pastor last week or a couple weeks ago at Shepherd's Conference and uh, we had a very interesting discussion. He was, uh, he was saying, you, know, it's, you get pastors together and there's this awkward um, series of questions that you always ask that you want to know about, but you don't really want to say, or what it, it basically goes something like this uh, So, how's church? It's going well. Are people coming? Well, yeah. Are you growing? Sure, I'm, we're growing. Um, how much are you growing? Maybe compared to last year. They're always asking, what are your numbers? Numbers don't matter a lot. Look, on Saturday afternoons in the fall, 107,000 people gather in Neyland Stadium in the University of Tennessee, and that's a big group of numbers. It means something, but you have to interpret what it means. What do the numbers mean? I'm so glad we have full Sunday mornings. I'm so glad we have so many people coming Sunday nights. And thank you for coming back Sunday nights. Uh, I am so thankful that God has given us a church that hasn't given up on Sunday night services. However, it has to go beyond the service. Care groups are one way. They're not the only way. It doesn't say in First Thessalonians, thou shalt go to a care group. It does ask us, in what context are you applying these one another's to the body? 
In the care groups, we've been reading a very good book, one of my favorite books, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. The whole point of that book is simply put like this. Great to have pastors, great to have elders, great to have church leaders, but the primary extension of pastoral spiritual care in the body ought to happen believer to believer. You do believe in the priesthood of all believers, don't you? Don't you? We are all priests before God. You say, well, I don't, I don't know enough to help anyone. Sure you do. You can care. You don't have to have all the answers, but you have to have a heart that engages and cares. Sometimes it's just saying, I'm so sorry that you have this problem. I know you have this problem. I cannot solve this problem, but I care and I will pray with you. I want to call you tomorrow to see how this is going. The body cares for itself. I've told you over and over that, that illustration that's so vivid in my mind playing baseball growing up. We had that stupid thing where if you got hit in the arm, you're in the batter's box, you get hit in the arm, everybody from the dugout would yell, don't rub it. In other words, you're supposed to just take the shot in the arm and just walk away and act tough. Everything in your whole existence when you get hit wants to grab that arm, doesn't it? Well, it did for me. That's the way the body responds. When one part hurts, another part responds. You could say, well, I don't know that I need to be in a small group. I don't know if I need to be in a care group. I don't know if I need to be doing this or doing that. But, well, not only is that not true, but can I tell you, other people need you. You are needed. Where? Where are you doing this stuff? Can you do all this in an hour on Sunday morning? And that's being gracious. I'm talking about the time in between the, the services. I mean, do, can, can you get this done? Do you, do you want to get this done? It takes care. It takes sacrifice. It takes us being what, what Paul describes as a building fitted together, a body that works together, a foundation that's wed together. He even calls it the likeness of Christ and his bride, the church, as a husband, is married to his own wife. So, what's the takeaway? Sure, I want to encourage you to become a member. Be officially associated with us. Let us be officially associated with you. Sure, I'll tell you, pursue a member care group. That's fantastic. But the greater reality is not saying, these are the three things I have to do. The greater reality is saying, that's a lot. And not only do I want to be responsible to do that, it's okay to say, I would love the benefit of others doing that for and to me. That's how the body is supposed to work together. So how's your takeaway? What's your takeaways? The so what ought to be what you talk about tonight at dinner on the way home. Now, can I just talk to you as as a brother and as a friend and as a Christian and not just as an elder and a pastor? I need this in my own life. I desperately need people to do this for me, for our family. I desperately want to do this in the lives of others. 
but it's not just as leadership to the church. This is supposed to, what's the illustration? It's supposed to happen in the church with each other. Church is not an event you come to, a building you inhabit. It's relationships that we share because we have a common Savior. I hope that you're serious about applying these one another's. Because when you do, people in the church are blessed and people in the world say, what was that? What was, what, what is that? They will know you love me when you have love one for the other. I think the step we are, if I, this is not the time for a state of the union address, or, but after being here almost three years, I can tell you that I have seen these one another's enacted in thousands of ways. But I feel like Paul who would say, let's excel still more. Let's ramp it up and be responsible and cut through the superficial expressions of our relationship and care for one another's souls. I think you care. Let's try to express that in a tangible way with one another. Father, give us, please give us clear conviction and clear ways that we can make application of these 56 commands, all really joined together by the admonition to have love one for the other. I know that my reticence to do these things, my cowardice to do these things, my laziness to do these things can all be attributed to my selfishness. Give us the strength, the grace, the willingness. Lord, make us willing. Make us want to pour ourselves out for those around us. Because that's what you did for us. Energize our thoughts. Motivate our actions. Give us specific applications to crush our pride to make others' lives better because you've given them a relationship with us and us, the commissioning, gracious disposition to serve because of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.